My Own Garms. Yes, my mates, what is happening with you lot? I'm Thomas Griffin, and this is My Own Garms. Now, I'm not a massive fan of gassing on and on at the beginning of the podcast, but since this is the first ever ep, I best give you a quick rundown of what's happening here. So every week, I'm going to get a guest on. Actors, musicians, journalists, fashion heads, anyone I reckon who's good for a chinwag about clothes. I'm sure you'll get the idea after an episode or two. This week, I'm chatting to Neil Summers. Neil's a fucking diamond. His current professional roles involve working with a load of ace brands, including Swedish jacket overlord Taglofs, Italian fabric innovator CP Company, German footbed perfectors Birkenstock, and Scandi fridge magnates Dometic. I first came across Neil when he was working on Proper Magazine, which he started with his mate Mark. I was pestering him about making some more Proper Magazine podcasts, so when I started my own garms, he was one of the first people I asked to be a guest. I fucking love this guy. You're going to love him too. I'll chat to you briefly at the end, but if you like this app, make sure you subscribe. We've got loads more sick guests coming up in the first series. Go and follow us on the socials with My Own Garms everywhere. And if you want to help us out, go to patreon.com slash myowngarms and give us a quid. I'll get your boss to sponsor us or something. Anyway, that is that from me. This is My Own Garms. Neil, thank you very, very much for coming on. Thank you for asking me, mate. I'm honoured. You've had a terrible morning this morning, haven't you? I've had a nightmare, yeah. The hands of our crumbling NHS. Yeah, yeah. Fuck the Tories. Fuck the Tories. Let's start off with that. Five beds down (laughs) in that hospital. Those poor nurses, that's all I can say. And it's pissing down outside, which totally negates the um, first question I was going to ask you today. (laughs) Yes. So it's gone tits up for both of us. So my first question is, it's felt a bit summery recently. It was a lovely weekend, wasn't it? It was. Yesterday, it's cracking the flags, wasn't it? I saw you you out and about. Yeah. Um, But are you sad that big jacket season is coming to a close, or are you buzzing about the lighter evenings? It does make me quite sad, yeah. But I've realised if you go out hiking, you just have to go higher and then you'll need a big jacket at some point. Okay, so, so where, where were you up to this weekend just gone? So I've been up Kinder twice this weekend. Yeah. All which, right. Uh, well, they passed sort of four days, yeah. Two different crews, like? Yeah, yeah. I cheated on my main crew and went out with another crew. I love to do, I'll do a walk as many times as different people want to come with me. Showing them your kind of home trek is, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing, man. Well, normally I'm rubbish. I've got a terrible sense of direction. So I always need a grown up with me who knows what they're doing. But we we did a bit of like a sunset trek mm. up, uh, Kinder yesterday, Monday it was. And, um, no one else had brought head torches apart from like two other people and me. So I was leading. The group down in darkness with a head felt torch. Feeling very empowered. Yeah, I've never felt so important. Scott of the Antarctic. Yeah, covering. I mean, we didn't know where we were going, but <laughs> we made it down. So yeah. that's your that's your local walk, is it then, Kinder? Well, yeah, I live in Hayfield, so Kinder's like a mile away. Yeah, I think I'm going up there in a couple of weeks with a bunch of common ground people. Yeah, yeah, night. I'm going on that thing. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah oh yeah. buzzing! I'll see, see you there, there man. I yeah, look forward yeah. to that. We've been talking about doing a Kinder walk for a while, so yeah. it's arranged itself. I love it. I love it because it's like half a mountain. Mm. You get up, you do the horrible bit, but then it's flat. There's no more horrible bit, and it's just a nice it's real walk. on top, isn't it? Yeah. Have you been to that plane wreck up there? That's sort of more Glossop way. Is it? But well, no, I haven't, actually. It's yeah. on the same plateau. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Sounds very alluring, that, like, stumbling across that. There's quite a few in the Peak District. You know? Is there? Yeah. Oh, be a good map to follow. Yeah, I'll come with you. Sick, man. Yeah, yeah. it would be a good exploration, wouldn't it? Definitely. Sick, sick picks up there as well. I yeah, imagine. yeah. I remember when I first met you, Neil, and you talked to me about boringness in menswear media content. I think this is when I was pestering you to make podcasts. Yeah, yeah. I wish we had. It never happened, did it? But I wish, it we, didn't. wish we had, mate. Well, I've got another idea I'm going to float to you a little bit yeah, later on. I'm in. I'm on board. Whatever it is. Buzzing. Whenever I see you write or interview or make a piece of content, there's always 
a humour or a self-reference or something that specifically makes it like non-boring. Yeah. Is that something that you actively channel? I suppose it's all about just keeping it real, isn't it? And I think we're from the northwest of England, aren't we, where humour's a thing and it? it's probably the funniest part of the country if you analyse comedy. Yeah. So if it wasn't there, it'd be inauthentic. Well, I think it's just, it's pricking, there's a lot of pomposity in fashion, isn't there? Mm. And a lot of bullshit and a lot of Emperor's New Clothes. Yeah. And there's room for it because a lot of it's art and a lot of it's amazing and a lot of people believe in all the things they say about what, what they design and stuff. But equally, you've got to rein it in sometimes and think, it's a pair of shoes. Yeah, it's man. It's a jacket. It's not going to cure cancer. It's so I think that's of... where the comedy comes in because it's a bit like, it's self-referencing what you're talking about. It's like, we love this. It's amazing. And I can talk to you about an hour about the buttons on this jacket, but... I do know it's only a jacket. And why do we do it? Like, it's fun in the end. It's not, I mean, yeah, obviously exactly. it is part of what you do professionally. Yeah. But you wouldn't want to be doing it professionally if it wasn't fun, would you? Exactly. And like, when I started, my mate Mark and I started doing this fanzine. And at the time, the only thing that existed in menswear in terms of magazines was like GQ and Esquire mm. and FHM. Hypergloss. Horrible men magazine. Yeah. And it was all about <laughs> how to tie a dicky bow, reviewing the latest Aston Martin, and checking out Rolexes, and you know, you're like, that's not me, man. I'm never going to afford any of this shit, and if I could, I wouldn't buy it. So, yeah. where's my magazine? So, we were sort of inspired by the Shoreditch Twat. Do you ever remember that fanzine? Never, never read that. It was massively ripping the piss out of that whole East End hipster thing. Nathan Barley before Nathan Barley. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, we took a bit of a pinch of that, and we were also obsessive about sort of Stone Island and, and Adidas trainers and stuff. So that humour was part of what we did. So it wasn't all about fashion. So we were doing spoof showbiz columns and like quizzes and stuff. And I think it just crept into the the way we spoke about clothes and stuff. I remember buying, going to United and accidentally buying a fanzine when I was like, I don't know, 10 or 11, thinking it was a match day programme and then opened it and the swear words and stuff like that and profanities and humour. And I just remember being blown away that this could get into a magazine because I'd never come yeah. across that before. And I guess for someone to pick up an early edition of what became Proper Mag... Was it called Proper when you first well, we started start, We started a blog, actually. We started online, but before blogs existed, called Proper Top. Yeah. And we had a thing called a scallery. So we just took loads of pictures of scallies in Stockport. Okay. Pictures of, I didn't know, not commenting about them, but yeah. just, just pictures of scallies, like art. Amazing, man. What a document. Yeah. Is that still available to peruse on some It'll kind be there of... somewhere. And it's we amazing. just used to review gigs and music and nights out. It was a way of blagging our way into nightclubs, basically, yeah. and gigs. Yeah. But we also did a fanzine, because we were at the East Coast message board called 80s Casuals, and someone did a casual fanzine. And it was like ring-bound. It was like a manual for a Commodore 64 nice. from the 80s. Oh. It was fucking weird. Okay. Whereas Mark was doing County's fanzine, and we had this job where we had loads of time on our hands. Yeah. And he wouldn't sack us. Right. <laughs> so we made a fanzine and a website and stuff. Yeah, they probably just evolved out of that. Sounds like a really organic, like, passionate beginning, you know, like, properly yeah. grown out of a love for it rather than a financial totally, need. Or a, totally, yeah. passion-driven. And what was funny at the start, like, we talked to certain people in, like, the clothes industry, and they'd be like, people don't find clothing funny. It's it's not a funny thing. It's, yeah. You've got to be very careful joking about clothes. And then five, ten years later, people going, yeah, we really want your sense of humour and your northern warmness, and it's like... That's what I was going to say, man, like, some of the brands that are mentioned in the intro... The quite serious heritage brands, you know, Birkenstock, yeah, yeah. CP's been around for 50 plus years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, are you finding that people are coming to you because of that comedy, because of that warmness, or are you having to adjust what you do professionally to suit them? Well, yeah, totally. Like, when you work with big brands, like they're not asking you to take the piss. Mm. But I think they appreciate your authenticity and your passion. 
which is is you can't really buy that, can you? Yeah. Especially in terms of PR, if you go to a PR firm, you'll often be dealing with someone who one day is trying to promote a car, then the next it's to make a sandwich. Yeah. Crisps, jackets, for, you know what I mean? Whereas I just do PR because I love the brands I work with. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really lucky, I guess, I'm fortunate, but I've always done that. And that's what proper was and everything. It was just, it was writing about stuff we believed in and we'd never try and tell someone to buy something that thought was shit. I guess the world's come round to your way of thinking now. Like in the nineties, it was about selling impossible dreams and bullshitting yeah. people. And now with the era of TikTok and Instagram, authenticity is the key, isn't it? And like you were doing that 20 years before everyone kind of clocked onto it. So yeah. It's kind yeah. of nice to see. It feels, it feels better, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Just being honest and like not taking yourself too seriously. Yeah, man. Rep your ends. So you're from Stockport, right? Just on the cusp of the kind of rural and the urban. Yeah. What do you reckon sets an archetypal Stockport look apart from what you might see where we are today in Manchester or what did maybe when you were growing up there? Yeah, it's difficult because, because Stockport itself is like a microcosm of Manchester. Mm. It's probably slightly more affluent on the whole. It's probably right. a bit more money there. So probably slightly more expensive. And that's reflected bit. in terms of just the, the, like the brands that people were able to buy or their, their keediness to like high fashion maybe. Yeah, but I mean, you've literally got really sort of like deprived areas right next to really affluent areas. Okay. So it's kind of weird. That that gives a certain frisson, doesn't it? Like you get strange styles evolving out of that as well. Like, yeah, you mentioned. I've heard you've mentioned the school that you were at. There was a a, a, a friction between the haves and the have-nots, and that evolved style in a particular direction. Could you tell us a little bit about that? It was fascinating, yeah, because I grew up in Bradbury Green. And my local comp, which is where I was supposed to be going, my parents didn't want me to go to because mm. they thought I'd end up in prison. <laughs> you know what parents are like. So uh, they put me in for all these entrance exams for all these schools and I was brought up as a Catholic. And um, I ended up getting like what they call an assisted place into St. Ambrose and Hale okay. Barnes, really posh like kind of micro, like scholarship-y yeah. kind of thing. So how it worked is the government paid for you to go if you're right. in the top 30. And if you're in the top 30 of the school, the entrance exam, the school let you have this scholarship sort of thing. So both the government and the Catholic Church. Great bunch of lads. <laughs> yeah. Two things I'm not that fond of. <laughs> Educated me, gave me a really good education for free. Right. Lovely. But I'll lend you the book about what happened in that school because okay. it was horrendous. It was like, it was like Scum, you know, the film Scum, but with dog I've not seen that. Right, well, it was just, Bleak. it was like, it was an all boys school. It was like a borstal. Right. Yeah, my point being, so 70% of the kids in this school are rich. Yeah. 30% aren't. Okay. But it wasn't that sort of divide, that money class sort of divide thing didn't happen. It was more about, because a lot of the working class kids or the non-rich kids were better dressers than the rich kids. Because I guess if you've got, if you're rich, you're not asked about what you wear so much. Whereas it's much more important that that. That impression you give out on what you wear. Yeah, the shell's more important than the... Yeah, the, uh, and it makes you more innovative and more... Well, people steal stuff as well. Indeed, yeah. We went on a school trip to Austria. Okay. And that was 85. And um it was like something out of a Nick Love film. We got, <laughs> I can remember it so vividly because we were all obsessive about, like, European sports. Where Brands in particular, like Lacoste and that. Lacoste was a, was a biggie for me, yeah. Kappa, LS... Donne, remember Donne? Mm, Tennis-centric thing. I can remember walking at this massive sort of really cool sports shop and it was sort of like a red lit thing and it, 
everything was just out on like sort of waist high things. Yeah. And 50 kids from the northwest of England just walked in. Racked it. <laughs> Gone. Every, everything. Like plague of locusts. And they were just, they just couldn't believe what had happened. Then we're all on the bus and some of the older kids were drunk. I just remember I was headbutting a wall drunk. <laughs> but everyone just had like a lessy towels on and like Lacoste wristbands and just. Looking like McEnroe. Yeah, it was just, yeah. It's mad. Like, I, I think that's something that is a bit of a through thread for you. Like, taking stuff, clothing that wasn't, because when the designers at Lacoste were designing in the 80s, they weren't thinking, this is going to end up on 15 year old kids in Stockport. Exactly. Was it? exactly. Taking that and repurposing it into something new yeah. is a big part of what you. And that do. was why we wanted it. And I think, again, it's quite a Northwestern thing. It's yeah. like, well, that's for a, a really rich person in Milan or Paris or wherever. We can, or. we can see the, the, like the economic injustice in that. So we're going to do something symbolic, like maybe not thinking that you're going to do that, but it's, exactly. it's in there, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And we're all obsessed with tennis. We used to play tennis. Yeah. But we weren't into the tennis. We were just into wearing the shoes and the, the shirts. Do you think it's the most stylish of the, the sports? Yeah. Tennis? Yeah, definitely. You should, you skiing should. as well, skiing. Well, I mean, we aren't at skiing trip. I didn't do any skiing. Okay, <laughs> just gopping at the gear. It's just robbing arcade machines <laughs> and just smoking. What a trip, man. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was amazing. Let me ask you about, oh, this is a total aside, but how's your Catholicism these days? Well, I was thinking about that because I, uh, I got to a point where probably when I was about 14, 15, and I just thought, I don't believe any of this. Yeah. It's complete nonsense. I mean, we want me to drag me to church every week. I was thinking that when I was on the altar. Yeah. Like, altar boy in it for, like, what am I doing here, man? This is mad. Yeah. And this is way before I knew the details about what the Catholic Church really yeah. gets up to. I was just in, in it and I was thinking, this, none of this makes any sense. Mm. You're dead, you're dead, and all that. And yeah. that piece of rice paper isn't God's skin yeah. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very teenage thing to think as well. Cause yeah. I've not, obviously I'm not a practicing Catholic, but you do kind of relax a little bit. When it, when I get a little bit older, I'm like, oh, it's, it's a nice thing for people to do. I don't feel the hatred towards it at all. Yeah, you see, I do. I mean, yeah. I've not got a problem with belief systems. Yeah. And I think, great, what do I know? There may well be gods and all that. But mm. the Catholic Church specifically, I can just <laughs> yeah. get really bitter about it. Well, anyway, my, my question was going to be like, I found myself uh, connecting with people throughout my life. Uh, and then I realised that they're all ex like ex-Catholics, reformed Catholics, and feel like I get on with uh, yeah. ex-Catholics really well. I think well. it's probably like we've all been through the same thing. Like yeah. my sister went to see a therapist because she was brought up a Catholic. Okay. And she said, you've been in a cult. You've been in a you religious are, cult. Man. And my sister was like, no, you have. It's and when you analyse, it's like when you're five, I remember at school someone saying, you know your dad at home. This is a, an adult saying this, not a kid. Yeah. You know your dad at home. Like, yeah, I know him fairly well. He's not your real dad. I'm like, who's that bloke in my house? And who is he? I mean, if if that was in any non-religious walk of life, you, you would be in therapy. It's just you? weird, isn't it? It's just weird. So mad, man. Whereas it made me specifically going through that school, which was pretty brutal. Mm. I think it just made me a, a tougher person. And yeah, you know what? What doesn't kill you? Probably, I'm probably massively in denial and really screwed up. <laughs> but I don't sort of regret going through that because it just kind of taught me a lot about... I feel precisely the same. I was talking to Charlie yesterday. He was on about Bristol being a, a, a welcoming and open place and how that breeds creativity. And I was like, it does. But there's also, like, goodness out of uh, adversity. adversity. Yeah, you need so pressure to make diamonds, don't you? You do, indeed. Yeah. That's a lovely way to yeah, think yeah. about it, man. The appeal of these brands you were seeing on the sports stars at the time, what do you think that it was that kind of like really attracted you? Is it the exoticism? Is it the unattainability? 
I think it ties into music. I know you, we're probably going to talk about music in a bit, but because mm. a lot of people say that football casual thing is where they first discovered designing labels and some right. European brands, but it wasn't for me because I wasn't into football. Yeah. And none of my mates were, but we were all obsessed about music. Obviously, the kids at school in it football, so I was probably looking at what they were wearing, but it was hip hop, really. Yeah, man. So it was watching like these rap stars, all the feeler was massive and Lacoste. And I got the arm down as a kid as well. And there'd be all these crews from sort of Moss Side and stuff, just in immaculate sort of sports, where loads of Adidas and, but yeah. they'd wear Deerstalkers as well and Burberry and. So it's flipped. It's, it's recontextualized yeah. again. And I just thought that it doesn't really get any cooler than that kid doing yeah. the windmill there. That I want to be like that. And were you? Did you have any breakdancing skills? I was, I was alright body popping. It was pretty shit at breakdancing. Yeah. I remember getting a VHS of like how to breakdance thing and tried it a little bit. And I did gymnastics a little bit when I was real little. So I could do a few little bits, but I never felt that I had the, the steez, the unquantifiable like hip hop yeah. flavor that sold it basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just looked like I was doing forward rolls and shit, man, <laughs> stretching out at the end. And that's it. It's like there were no classes back then. You just had to sort of watch telly and yeah. just make it up. Absorb it. Or watch these kids in the Arndale. But even that was a bit moody back then. So yeah, Manchester obviously is your, your kind of adopted home city. But, um, Absolutely. You've lived plenty other places, haven't you? Yeah. Where, tell us a little bit about those places and what effect they had on you and what you wore. Yeah, so I was a holiday rep in, in, in various sort of different places in Europe in the sort of mid nineties. So I lived in, I lived in France. First you lived in Normandy. Mm. Um, it's a port, port city, right? Or port area. Yeah, it's kind of, there's a lot of overnight stops. So it's a very yeah. busy site. And all my mates were going off to like Saint Tropez and like Spain. And I'm like, oh great. I'm 20 miles from Dover. <laughs> but, um, no, it's pretty good actually. It was, a, it was a good summer. It was 95. It was a hot summer. I discovered a Benetton in Cannes, okay. which was like my nearest big city. And that's yeah. when Benetton didn't exist in England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty much gone. It might have been around midnight, but yeah, it was definitely on the way out. But yeah, I remember getting like a really nice striped Lanswell sweater. My childhood view of Benetton was like heavy colour blocking, like tight, tight faces and stuff like that. And yeah, I yeah, it's lots it's, of pastel colours. As a, as a younger kid, I know you're probably a little bit older, but it, it, it's super eye-catching and like nothing I'd seen before. And it, it again, looked exotic and like refined. I yeah, again, European. It's Italian. Yeah. It's like a little chunk of Italy in Ashton. I had mates used to rob Benetton specifically to target <laughs> Benetton, yeah. Because generally, right, I'm going to say Riley or Rogley, was clearly Rogley. Most Benettons had two women working in them. Right. So these lads I know would go in with bin bags. One of them would snip the phone line and they'd just say, we're taking everything. They wouldn't it's be nasty heist, or aggressive. Man. But they just knew because there was two women there, there's not going to get any, no one's going to be a, have a go out. And they'd just fill these bin bags and get off. Well, doing it for the culture. Yeah, well, you know, they were just thieves at the end of the day, but... Uh, yeah. so, so France was like that, had quite a formative effect on you. Like, were you in the home of all the brands that you've been ogling for the, the past four or five years? Is that kind of one of the reasons you well, went there? I think, no, it was just, I mean, I went there to escape where I live because all my mates had got into smack, basically. So right, it was, it was getting like a bit that. dark. Yeah. So I just wanted to escape. So I got a job abroad and it was like, I was, I was working with all these like people just got a university and I was yeah. like, What's a dissertation? Okay. Like, it was difficult sort of coming out from this really sort of bleak criminal, like say people like I was hanging around with, into this really, I was living in a field with loads of like young, optimistic, intelligent southerners. So fashion sort of took a bit of a sidestep really, cause like, no one, cause you're wearing a uniform half the time anyway. Yeah. But I always had a Lacoste polo to go to the pub in, do you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? And a nice pair of jeans. Yeah, then the same second year that it was more surfy there, it was further down the southwest coast of France. Right. 
So I was definitely wearing sort of lots of Stussy and stuff like that. Okay. This is before Stussy was quite the, the, the monolith, the gargantuan company that it is today. Yeah, yeah, it was very, very sort of surfy, skatey kind of. Yeah. Well, there was a shop specifically, this place called Palmier that sold these amazing Stussy t-shirts. There's one with the Spaceman. I, I still think about it. I wish I'd have bought it. I never did. Oh, shit, man. Probably going for a grand on eBay. Yeah. I have still got a long sleeve t-shirt I bought, bought from, uh, bought in Bordeaux in a sale. And, and yeah, Superstars. There's a picture of me wearing Superstars, actually, in that year in France. Is that the trainer of choice? I was talking to... Everyone's on the Samba hype now, and Stan was talking about Gazelles being his... Was that your go-to trainer at that time, or was it a, a rotating? In the nineties, yeah, because they didn't really exist in the eighties. Much as I love Run DMC, you couldn't get them. You yeah. couldn't get superstars. But I hated Sam Ben. I wasn't that into Gazelle because they were like everyone wore them, and they were a bit footbally. Yeah, I wasn't into football. Okay, and a more black the, trainer. I was like, mm, more racket sporty vibes. I think I had Adidas Campus for my first pair of like Adidas um, court shoes, if you will. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't see anyone in them these days. I don't no, think it was I'm a short campus. But um, mine was Munchin. Okay. I had a blue pair with sort of orangey-yellow stripes. Is that is that not heavily football uh, influenced? It kind of was, but it's also quite hip-hop, I think. Yeah. It was kind of quite a thick yeah. soul on it, you know, like trim trap soul. Big tongue. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Well, it was just, yeah, I'm very European. Yeah. So France was a big impact on you. Is there any other European countries that you've done the Well, I lived in Italy as well. Okay. So I was in Tuscany, so Florence was my me, me sort of go-to place. Lovely. I probably should mention as well my first year... I've been, like I say, I've been living in a field and right. fashion wasn't that important. Yeah, yeah. And we moved, we moved to Paris at the end of the season where I was working in Paris for a bit on this campsite like on the, mm. the outskirts of Paris. And I got the train into to Paris and um, I was wearing a t-shirt with all bleach stains on it. My hair was nearly down to my arse. Okay. Knackered jeans, pair of Reebok. Yeah. Reeb- I walked into Chanel and I was with this girl who was just looking at dresses and stuff yeah. you know like you do you're in a big city tourist in yeah and I caught a picture of myself in a mirror <laughs> just for get out get yeah. out of this. you don't belong to me yeah I was, you know you're ashamed of what you look like yeah and I mean they probably welcome in that kind of hippie chic look now but that was a time where it was yeah. very yeah wasn't them yeah. kind of thing I just looks a disgrace have you swung back there in recent years and walked in with head held high and yeah well yeah not very Chanel but um, I do love I do love Paris magical place in it yeah so, I know Italy, like with the brands that you've done a lot of work with and the stuff that you're a big fan of, yeah, yeah, must yeah. have been quite a, a pilgrimage, or was it a not pilgrimage, more of an eye-opening Well, yeah, again, back thing. then, because I, I didn't have any money, and like for most of my life, I've, I've always been skint. Right. So I've never like, had loads of money to throw around on clothes. I've always kind of ducked and dived a little yeah. bit. But yeah, I used to walk around Florence just going, wow, wow, just looking at everyone. But I was massive, I'm still am massive at the food and culture of Italy. Yeah. So um, I did. I did save up and I bought a Velour diesel tracksuit top. Mm, nice. That man. was um, yeah. I remember there's loads of there's loads of shops like Fuck T-shirts, F-U-C-T. Yeah, that's that? skate brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, I've not been to Italy that much. I went to Venice this summer and seen all those like mega names of Italian heritage, like the high fashion stuff next to each other. You're like, oh, this is different. This is yeah, yeah, yeah. It exists differently here. It's interesting as well, isn't it? Because like speaking to Italian friends I've got and like Lorenzo from CP. Yeah. I remember saying to him, I said, growing up, like what was it like growing up? Like your dad's Massimo and he's got all these amazing brands. And, mm. You know, what did you look to? Or what, you know, were you a Paninari? He said, no, I just wanted to dress like a British kid. Okay. Wow. And I was like, what? You... You couldn't really have had a cooler upbringing and you want to dress like, he goes, yeah, the British were the coolest kids. And what was his, because obviously some British kids were dressing like Italian Paninaro, 
but like what was his conception of what a British kid was at the time? I th- well, I think it's that thing in France is the same. That there's people follow a bit of a format with style, don't they? Which is why mo- in our eyes, and I think most Europeans dress a lot better than us because there's a certain standard of quality and style and look that they adhere to. Yeah. Which might be, they construed maybe as being a bit safe and a bit boring, but we just think, look, he just, look at the way he wears that jumper. Or, yeah. They've just got everything right, whereas we're much more individual and yeah. just a bit madder and a bit more experimental and a bit fuck fashion. I'm wearing what, and I think that's quite appealing. That's why punk came out of the UK. Yeah, man. I know it's a bit of America. But, I've thought about that before. So I think that it's the individuality style of, of, of wearing clothes that other countries, that's why the Japanese love the British as well. Yeah. I guess it's like the German purity brewing laws and the French DOC mark of excellence. Like it exactly. creates amazing stuff when it's good. Exactly. But there's not the room for the experimentation maybe that we've got. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. They're never going to make iron brew. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that video of Patrice Evra tasting iron brew for the first time? No. So he obviously a French footballer. He was singing the praises of Orangina in a glass bottle, which is yeah. nectar from the gods. Spectacular. Uh, and then some Scottish person had given him iron brew to taste for the first time. He's obviously doing the kind of snobby French thing like this is as good as it gets. Yeah. And then took his first sip of iron brew and his eyes widened and he's a complete convert. Did he like it? Oh, amazing. Yeah, man, he loved it. Like, oh, you're onto something here. It probably took about 10 years off his life. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> it's melted him from the inside out. <laughs> so that's Europe. Obviously he moved back to England after that and now it's yeah. a little bit of, I don't want to mention your age, but, uh, Older, 51 older, soon. 51. I'm well old. You've left the the city and moved a little bit more yeah, rural. Yeah, retired to a little country cottage. How's that treating you? It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I love it. I love mm. it. Apart from the start, someone wrote a poem about me. That's another story. But okay. um, I complained about the... I didn't complain about the bells ringing at half three in the morning, but I asked on a Facebook messenger group, and someone wrote a poem about me. Quite a passive-aggressive poem, but basically saying, if you don't like the bells, fuck off. As in the church bells ringing at R3? Yeah, what, for but it was purpose? like 3.32, and then it was 4.01. And I just so it's just a malfunction? I yeah, I don't know what was going on. It's not but, um, Yeah, I dared to question it. The, the quaint village traditions. I nearly had burning torches. <laughs> but yeah, no, other than that... It sounds pretty idyllic, man. And, yeah. Um, obviously, when you retire to the countryside, you've got less eyes on you. You've always been someone that's thought about what they're dressing... Do you find yourself relaxing into the, uh, not the anonymity, but the, the kind of, the, the, the lower pressure? How have I become a lazy side? slob? I, well, are there elements <laughs> of that creeping into your... I thought, well, now I've dress? always been like that. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's, it's a valid point. I think I'll buy, I buy clothes, because obviously I used to, I was working telly and worked in, in Ancoats for ages, and so there's always a reason to sort of put a different coat on or whatever, whereas now I'll be going getting some fire lighters from the corner shop, and I'm like, is it worth putting this... £2,000 Stone Island jacket on? Probably not, but I'm going to do it anyway. anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, but but on the flip side of that, I'm surrounded by hills and mountains and stuff. Are they mountain? No, not mountain. I'm surrounded by big hills. So my clothing's got more, much more technical, I suppose, in what, okay. what I wear day to day. And a lot of the stuff that you were wearing for fashion purposes is now being uh, used for its true purpose, I guess. Yeah, or just, I just, I make a point of trying to get into town at least once a week just to go and see someone and just yeah. see a bit of... Feels Rhyme good, doesn't it? Pollution and yeah, yeah. Just getting leather, driving for the soul. Yeah, on a bit of shoplifting. Uh, and I know this seems like a simple question on the face of it, but I think there's a bit more that you can dig into. Have you got a pair of wellies in your footwear rotation? No, I hate wellies. I you know, fucking hate wellies. Yeah, man. yeah. Um, there. Yeah, they're so effective, but they've got such a like 
what's attached to them, I can't overcome. It's just uncomfortable, aren't they? They're sweaty. They're not that, not great foot support. I mean, you can get posh wellies, I guess. Can't okay, you? I've but got posh wellies. Yeah, still. I've not good. worn them, man. Like, yeah. I feel bad. I hope my mum's not watching this because she bought them for me, but I live in the kind of countryside. I've got, uh, Lushamore wellies. Yeah. Premium. Near Basically premium. That's Warm, that, well, this is what I'm getting at, yeah. man. Like, as functional as they are for when it's levering it down. Yeah. As soon as I put my foot into it, I feel like a different person. Yeah, yeah. And it grates at me. Like, I think I, unless you're working in an abattoir, <laughs> you've no real need to wear wellies. We've got Gore-Tex boots, haven't we? Indeed. I um, think some people can look all right in wellies. You know, I'm not a fascist in, in terms of what people wear, but... There was a season where they were massive for women, the festival. The yeah, yeah, like thing. the chung kind of thing going um, on. They look great in wellies. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've not got the legs for that, I don't think. Yeah. Why do you say that? <laughs> So let's touch on print media. We did, we talked a little bit about yeah, it yeah. before. And mags, they've always been a, a fair portion of your career. For me, magazines like The Face and Vice were massively important in changing my kind of fashion tastes when I was at school and college. I think it was the exoticism again. Yeah. Do zines and physical print mags still do something to you when you touch them that the kind of digital equivalent can't do? There is something lovely about having it in your hand, isn't there? Like, I mean, mag- magazine. I, I, picked, I picked you up from downstairs and the key card broke and I noticed the first thing that you did was go and pick up some print media New on York the table. Times. Like, you, you're drawn to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm an arch blagger. No, there is, there is something lovely about print media, isn't there? But I think day to day I don't read a lot of it. And mm. I, I kind of wish it. Same with books. I still buy books. And I've got about 20 I've not read. Yeah, same, man. And it's just, I think we've all got ADHD because of social media, haven't we? When you do make the effort or the time does come around to, like, delve into that, it feels so good, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels really healing almost. I sleep better if I've read a book at night yeah, or totally. read a magazine. Or if you've got that time in a train where you think, I oh, fucked this phone off for half an hour, I'm going to dig into whatever. And You'll always enjoy it. Yeah. I read more outdoor magazines now, though, as well. It's part of my job. Mm. Like I say, I work with Hagloffs and, and Dometic. So I'll, I'll religiously sort of read, like, the great outdoors and trail magazines, stuff like that. Because it is interesting as well, because it's all about roots and where people have gone and, and kit and stuff. And there's loads of Japanese magazines, like this thing of ours around the corner. They sell some amazing Japanese Incredible magazines. stuff. So man. I love that go out and all that sort of stuff. I think you don't, because we're consuming through our phones so much, I don't think you realise what scale of a picture or resolution of a glossy magazine can yeah. do to an image it completely changes your relationship to it I think exactly and have you seen CP's one Archipelago I'm not go on that is fucking incredible is it yeah just the print quality everything like, about it it's just oozing it's exactly what CP is as well it's just it's not just no compromise Excellence. big blokes rolling around car parks with each other it's <laughs> like it brings you into that world of CP and just how deep it goes and you don't think uh, that could exist in another media or it wouldn't have the same effect if it was digital version of it. No, no. Because some of it's time, and that's what I always used to do when I was putting a magazine together, try and make it timeless because yeah. you can't compete with the internet because it's instant, whereas a magazine, by default, it's always going to be about three weeks out of date by the time yeah. you get it in your hand. So I think if you make timeless stuff, that is the key to doing print media. I think people are keying into it. Like There is a bit of a resurgence. Like You know Monday Isle magazine... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a bit of a death knell for, for them, like, two years ago, maybe when the physical sales weren't doing as well. Yeah, yeah. But the clamour for it when it's not there, yeah. it's kind of heartening. It's a bit like old pubs, though, isn't it? I was like, oh, can you believe that I've shut that pub down? And you're yeah. Like, when did you last go in that pub? It's and the same it, thing, innit? When it reopens, you do buzz your head off off it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah man. I, uh, I hope the, the future's strong. And if it's not, 
then the space that it might create for fanzine culture and other smaller yeah, independent yeah. things to step into the place might be quite an exciting. I space. did talk about doing a fanzine last year, my mate Mike, but real DIY, like, yeah, photocopy. You, well, the great thing about a fanzine is you can put whatever you want in it, can't you? No editorial thing you have to bow to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man, that sounds like the perfect medium for you, unfiltered. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit more about music because I know like music fanzines and stuff were probably a big part of your like music magazines were. The first things Absolutely. that I bought at shops. Absolutely, mate. And being around Manchester, like the kind of, I know rave was a big part of your life and then all the subsequent Manchester music genres that kind of spurned 100%. off from that. Yeah, yeah, Was that where you looked to for your clothing inspiration at a young age? Yeah. Like I was saying before, it sort of started off with hip hop. Yeah. And then it kind of morphed into sort of indie people. So like I went through a massive Smiths phase. Wore a lot of denim. Yeah. Had a bit of a goth phase, probably for about a month. Okay, interesting. I was, re- I was writing about it the other day because I was, I went to see Depeche Mode in yeah. about 87, 86, I think, and it's the same time Black 501s came out. Okay. Electro, pop gothers, Depeche yeah. Mode. Honestly, it was one of the best gigs I've ever been to bet, at man. the GMAX. The, uh, the stage show always looks pretty spectacular with it. It was supported by a German group. I think they were called Hardcore, but Core as in C-O-R-P. Okay. And the female singer wasn't wearing a top. Wow, that must. And have when you're 14, yeah, that's a big deal. And that wasn't as you know, Lady Gaga wasn't about in those yeah. days. Yeah, but, but yeah, I was massive at Depeche Mode and sort of dabbled with goth. And um, I think that was the time I gave up Catholicism as well because remember a priest coming round and we just had to turn black and just like eyeballing him. And why did it only last a month for you that particular? Because phase? it kind of did back then. It was kind of you just move with music or you know hormones. You just change. Yeah, yeah. I had a period as well when. Uh, an uncle of mine died, and me and my dad were going through his belongings. I wasn't close to him, I didn't really know him. Mm. I found a hearing aid in some um, NHS classes. Okay. And like, Morrissey was my god, but right. so I'm like, I'm having that. Okay. <laughs> and then at the same time, my auntie had sent me a, a knitted jumper with Garfield on it. Mm. So I was probably about 16, 17 at the time. Well, look, I'm concocting in my head at the moment. Well, I was just like, as if I'm ever going to wear that jumper. Yeah. I'll get my head kicked in. Yeah. And then, but then I was like, oh, hang on. And I used to live, Close to a village that like the village is where all the life was, the pubs were. And right. Stuff. And me and my mates were the outcasts because we had long hair and yeah. weren't alcoholic builders. So yeah. we got sort of bullied. But it got to a point where I'm like, what'll happen if I wear me, me flares, this Garfield jumper, national gigs and hearing aids? Let's find out. So we used to go out dressed like that just to annoy people and get in fights. And did it have that effect or were you so far past the kind of scope of normality that they were like, we'll, I'm not fucking with that kind well, of Well, I think people were a bit more sympathetic and just thought, oh, that poor fucker <laughs> over there, I'm not, I'm not going to throw a pint pot in. But that, that time in your life is the perfect time to push things to the nth degree, in it? To yeah, experiment. And exactly, I think exactly. The, the kids that did that at the time looked the most ridiculous, like, objectively in retrospect to probably the people that end up pretty cool, like, when they're a bit older. Yeah, you've got to have a dabble when you're a kid, haven't you? You've got to be at different things. And, like, I, my mate was like, his family were all teddy boys. They had mm. a teddy boy wedding. His sister got married. They were all teddy boys. And they used to have this monthly night in Romley near me that was like a rock and roll night. Okay. And because I was into the Smiths, it kind of tied in with that as well. So right. I'd be like 501 up with a flat top. Yeah. And a James Dean t-shirt. Thinking, this is amazing. But then a year later, you're dancing under strobes with a bandana on. It's so fast moving, isn't it? Yeah. It feels good to do as well, reinvent yourself at that age. Yeah, like. totally. Aside from the goth phase, are there any other personal style experiments that you look back on and think, what the fuck was I thinking there? I think I blocked most of them out mentally. I mean, when Acid House started, 
I was 16, so I was a real amateur. I just really wanted to get hold of it. And I used to, I used to get the SEND on my own because no one else would go. My sister would take me occasionally to like midweek things. I love going to gigs on my own, man. It's yeah. My, it's my favourite pastime at the moment. But when you're 16 and you go into like this really big mad place, yeah. it was already pretty famous. Yeah. And I just remember going in there going, wow, everyone's really friendly. Okay. Because previous nightclubs I've been to, people weren't mm. at all friendly. What, the kind of small town after hours night, after well, it was a just Friday all blazers and chinos and yeah. throwing ashtrays at each yeah. other. <laughs> Whereas the Hacienda was, was so different. And I know everyone goes on about it, but it was fucking brilliant. Mm. But yeah, I remember I had, so I suppose, it, I didn't really cringe at this, because it sounds pretty cool. So I had a pair of Doc Martin shoes, like waxed shoes. I had a pair of vintage Lee um, dungarees. I had a massive white t-shirt and like um, next, a next sort of chambray shirt and a bandana. A bit Dexy's like. A little bit, but baggier. Okay. But I suppose I was Dexy's was pretty baggy. Yeah. But Dexy's not, on yeah. acid. Not- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, bandana, I suppose bandana's the only thing I cringe about a little bit. Yeah. But, I've heard bandana phases. They are pretty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I wasn't a bodybuilder. I was, yeah. a, I was a raver. But um, there's a phase with jeans that had little like labels on them. Okay. Like little postcardy label things right. on them. Interesting. There was a cartoon character ones as well, which I almost dabbled with. Yeah. And they, they were quite cool. It was kind of like very French, but then it all just went a bit fucking wily coyote and just nonsense on it. So I did kind of swear at that. We mentioned it as we were coming up in the, the lift. The things that I kind of recoil at for myself is when I felt like I've been a tourist, when I felt like I've been inauthentic to my, yeah, myself. Yeah. Like, we, like I had a, a very short lived kind of mod phase. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I think it was the community aspect of it. Yeah. That you've said is a thing. Like yeah, spending yeah. time with some people. It's yeah. like. Shout out to the pretty green gang. Yeah. Yeah. It's so well. It's easy to take the piss and go look at your hair, but. Yeah. When you spend time with them, you think, actually, he's really nice. Yeah. People having a good laugh. And Ted's like my brother-in-law's dad is part of a, you know, he's, he's in, in his seventies and part of a teddy boy scene. And from yeah, the outside, yeah. you're like, what are you doing dressing up like that at that age? <laughs> yeah. But then when you realize the community and yeah, the yeah. bonds. Yeah. It makes people there, happy. But flip side, if you go into that un, not wholeheartedly, just dabbling in it, it feel it ends up feeling a bit dirty, I think. And I felt yeah. like that in the mod scene. I was like, I don't really like any of this music. I just think fringes and yeah. like, smart coats are quite nice. I think yeah. you've got to do that. I think, like we said before, the probably loads of Italian French kids who look back on what they wore and just think, well, no, it's fine. Because they were wearing Lacoste yeah. polo. Whereas I think being British, more experimental, more dabbling, you're going to have things where you go, what the fuck was I thinking about? Yeah, man. And talking about kids... Like, looking at the younger kids in the city now, a lot of people of our age get a bit stuffy about what younger people wear, but I am constantly interested and constantly inspired by looking at what kids wear. I never turn my nose up at it. I just think, fucking go for you. Yeah, uh, absolutely. What, I believe the children are our future. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's for president. Well, the, the younger you are, the better you look in clothes. Yeah. I remember when my son was about four, he had a pair of cord dungarees. And he looked the absolute business. And I just yeah, think, man. I want to wear a pair of them, but I'll just look like a sex offender. <laughs> so yeah, um, you, like we've like just been saying, isn't it? Youth is when you wear all the mad shit and you wear yeah. what you want to wear. And- but it's, it's, it, I think it takes a, a certain kind of awareness to not sneer at that when you get older. Because I've got mates that dressed madder than me when we were little. Yeah. And now they're kind of, oh, look at these, they look at the size of their pants kind of thing. Like, yeah, to the kids just- today. Yeah. It, it's, I, have you forgotten where you're from? Have you yeah, forgotten? Exactly. Like, I think looking down on anyone just because of their age or what, it's just like, yeah, get over yourself. And even more so than that, I think it's vital for your own, like, um, 
not mental well-being, but to be mates with different generations and like taking inspiration exactly, from yeah. I, think, I find it really healthy and exactly. like yeah it's a beautiful thing and mullets are back as well you noticed they look like no beds <laughs> <laughs> yeah I have noticed the only and thing we have like because I'm like, like I, I'm kind of obsessive about clothes but I don't judge anyone on what they wear it's like each to their own apart from when I'm walking down a mountain with someone and if we see someone wearing sketches me and my Joe shout out to Joe Donovan we'll look at someone and go you see what he's wearing? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking sketches. That's the only bit where I become a fashion Nazi. When health and safety is involved. Yeah, yeah. that's all it is. I'm just worried for the well-being. Yeah. Yeah. So, Neil, I heard you mention in an interview, I can't remember which one it was, and I'll reference that in the show notes. Yeah, so much, um, I've done sudden a lot of press. Yeah, like. you're everywhere these days. <laughs> uh, about how much you love independent retail. Uh, and how much you rate buying from people who really sell what they love. Like, shout out Tim down the road. I yeah. think he was the one that you probably referenced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's your current take on the state of, like, independent retail? And do you think, in a in a kind of economically crushing environment, do you think people can still make a, a good job of it if they do things right? I think the, I think they definitely can, because you've got to look at, like, a work with urban industry. Mm. And um, they're massive, but they're independent, but they do really well. They do a really good job. Pegs, Pegs and Son as well. Down in Bright, Bright, yeah, I've been in there. Bright, yeah. isn't it? It's a yeah. class shop. Chris at Modern Draper. Yeah. Guys at Caff grew up in Scotland. Um, Tim, this thing of ours around the corner. They're all doing a great job, but I think these big limited companies, I, I totally get how they work and I've not got a problem with them, but there's a monopolism merger commission to stop what, they're supposed to stop what's happening, you know, and just them all taking over and it's, it's, and I think the internet's, Probably got a massive part to play in it as well, but but e-commerce like it's e- made high street retail really difficult. Yeah, right? because we all buy stuff online because mm. we get it tomorrow and we don't have to go out of town. And but I think yeah, it's just it's it's nice to see people doing well that, that are passionate about it. But I think it's just yeah, when big things come in and buy everything. Yeah, don't get me wrong, they've stopped a lot of people losing their houses. And the, you know, they're not yeah. the bad guys. Yeah, but I think. There does need to be some point where some, you know, this monopolies and merger commission we're supposed to have, or we did have, that they're supposed to make people go, well, no, you can't own all these shops. You yeah. can't own, you know. And do you think that needs, uh, intervention from further up the chain than that? Is it, is it, does it need to be a legislative change? Or do you think people as consumers have got a bit of a responsibility to kind of vote with their quids? I, I don't think you can put it on the consumer because we're yeah, all like, same. Cost of living crisis, isn't it? So you just buy the cheapest thing you can get, don't obviously you? Obviously the internet's changed that with price comparison sites and exactly. being able to Google exactly. everything. So you can't blame people for trying to save money. We all like holidays or eating. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> it's like, you can't really blame the consumer, but equal, yeah, I guess there is a certain responsibility, but I just think it's a governmental thing, isn't it? There's, mm. there's legislation, like you say, that should just say, you've got to give like the smaller businesses a fair crack of the whip. Yeah. And with the right, amount of money or the right amount of massaging they can be so easily sidestepped exactly through, through back doors exactly and yeah. I think there's room for everyone isn't there and it makes things more interesting if you've got it's like you go to Japan there's just so many mad shops there in amongst the big ones and, and it all just works really well you think there's more of an I've not been to Japan but it's more of an independent retailer scene there is a more passion project to kind of stuff it feels like it I don't know maybe they're all owned by one person yeah. I don't know that. don't know how in depth their retail works but it just does feel like you'll come across a little store and it's run by someone who's just dedicated their life to yeah. Americana or denim or mm. trainers do you know what I mean so yeah my experience of it is like um, it just feels better 
when you do like, I go to Owl Store in Harrogate, which is owned by Steve, who is an independent retailer. And um, when you can have a conversation with a person about it, yeah. you kind of, that, yeah, it might be 10 quid more expensive than it is in another shop yeah. down the road, but like, you know you where it's going. You know where it's going. And yeah. also you, you're buying something else. You're buying like a taste level. Or you're buying, uh, I don't know, the, just the, the experience you get in the shop. And I think yeah. people probably won't ever forget that. It affects me enough to make me do that. Not, I'm not immune from it. Fucking, yeah, I'll go yeah, on the yeah. internet and buy the cheapest thing a lot of the yeah, time. Yeah, but totally. I still appreciate that aspect it's of it. It's a nice it. experience, isn't it? It's great, isn't it? Yeah. It's good. It's like outside store in Hathersage. Have you ever been there? Uh, I've been to the one at London and the Liverpool one, but I've not been to the... Right, well, this, is, this isn't Outsiders. Much, I love Outsiders, again. Oh, sorry. Which one outside is it? Outsiders, it's, right, it's, it's an out, outdoor shop in Haversay. Okay. But it's just, you go in there and you've been there an hour talking about, like, you know, inflatable mattresses or yeah. Gore-Tex. <laughs> but it's that difference, in it? You're with someone who's passionate about something and, yeah, and wants you to go away with something you're going to like. Yeah, it's a beautiful experience. And the other thing, like, travelling a little bit, this is what I've got into a little bit more. When I go on holiday, I always have a little pot of uh, money that I'm going to buy something from an independent shop over there. I went to Porto last year and I went and found their independent like retail shop. And the thing that I bought was by a Portuguese designer and sold to me by a Portuguese person. Selva is the brand. I don't right. know if you ever come across them. It's got drawing and painting by Selva on, like skateboarding, hip hoppy shop. Yeah. And every time I put that on, it's really attached to a memory for me. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really trying to do that more. If I go somewhere special for for a reason, yeah, try yeah, and yeah. buy something that's attached to it. So, yeah. Yeah, it goes a long way. Should have gone on La Paz. You know those guys? Yeah. Amazing brand. Matt, yeah, I, have, I did go in that shop, actually. It's yeah. on the waterfront, isn't it? Have you been in that? I've not been in. A friend oh, of mine went in there and said it's like a really old school kind of yeah. really nice shop. Best dressed sailors in the, yeah. in the country. And they're just lovely people as well. Yeah, Porto's got it going on, actually. Loads of yeah, nice. it's pretty. It's the new Stockport. Everyone's saying. <laughs> top three selected. You're a man of the world. Can you give me a top three best dressed cities that you've visited? I think Tokyo from the off. Hundred mm. percent. Remember, I flew into Tokyo, and as I was queuing up with passport control, someone in front of me had a Topo Designs bag. Okay. And I thought I've not even got a fucking out of the airport yet, and I'm impressed. Being blown away. You don't see them around in England, do you? No. I've Not got really. I've got a topo multicolored uh red turquoise top yellow um clipping things down it big water carriers on each side as a climbing bag at the moment. I've had it for like 7 or 8 years and I'm still very proud to wear it. I mean I mean Tokyo was like a theme park for cool people. Yeah man. Everything's mint record shops restaurant just yeah. So 100% so got to get there. Yeah. Um Florence probably. I think anywhere in Italy. But yeah, I'd say Florence because it's just it's got an interesting mixture of sort of rich Italians poncing around, probably half of Americans to be fair. But no, they're not, they're, they're Italians. And do you think the beauty of where you are, the plazas and the fountains and stuff, do you think that aesthetic, um, impetus like rubs off on people? Are they, are they well dressed because? Well, I think that's an Italian thing, isn't it? They've got a thing called passeggiata when everyone goes out for a stroll at night and Luca, one of my favourite parts of it, Luca, you can see it there. It's a bit less touristy than Florence. But there's a certain time in the evening, say seven o'clock or whatever. Yeah. Everyone puts on something nice, goes mm. for a little walk, gets an, an ice cream. Or maybe it's like before you go for dinner. Yeah. And I think if you live in somewhere like Florence, you're not putting a shell suit on, are you? Yeah, man. What, what a brilliant cultural pastime. Yeah. Well, I interviewed a guy called Alan de Baton years ago. And yeah, like, he wrote, you know, yeah, proper, philosopher. Yeah. 
And I said to him, I said, am I really fickle and vain and pathetic being obsessed about clothes? He said, no, it's human architecture. It's really important. So it's the same thing, isn't it? Your human architecture probably reflects what you're surrounded by. You know, the actual architecture you're surrounded by. Yeah, man. I'll have to get back on him. I read a bit of his stuff a long time. He's always really like, made you feel good about yourself. Yeah. I did, I remember, I remember he did one about factories and stuff. And at McVitie's, he discovered that each, each different biscuit they make at McVitie's has got a personality. (laughs) So a hobnob will be like, middle-aged woman from Kent called Sandra. Right. Mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not that in depth, but you know what I mean? Each yeah. Biscuit's got personality. The, the, the McVitie's have imbued into that biscuit or that's been projected. Well, they're marketing when they all right. sit on the table. Okay. They'll sort of go. Mad fuckers. Yeah. I work in a call centre in Wimslow. <laughs> what biscuit am I? Let's make it. I'd eat that biscuit. Funny way to earn a living. So we've got know. Tokyo, we've got Florence. Who's going to complete your top three? I'd say New York, but I've not been for about 40 years. Um okay. So let's say Copenhagen. Yeah, man. I was there over the summer and that definitely be my top three. Yeah. It's just chic as fuck, isn't it? It's yeah. just like everyone's got it going on. Yeah. And Helps everyone's the... really healthy, like Sweden and exactly, Norway. Man. Everyone just looks great, aren't they? And just happy and yeah. healthy and a lot of amazing brands just doing things subtly excellently yeah. there, I think. I think what's interesting as well about um Denmark and Copenhagen about 300 years ago, I think, a load of Danish people went to Japan. Okay. And just, you know, took it, took a load of Japanese culture and brought it back to Denmark. So if you look at Danish design in general, it's got that minimalist, natural Japanese feel. I love, um, like, geographical things that have had effects on music and culture and stuff like that. I find it totally fascinating. That's, yeah. uh, I'll have to do a bit more research. Have you got any articles on it I can read into that? No. Just what you've noticed. And it's reminding me, I got sent over there if we leave our skateboarding when the Open was on years ago. And I've sat with this kid who does Law Magazine, you know, in London. Yeah. And I was just sat there watching this, like, quarter pipe they'd set up in the middle of the road, drinking free beer, eating free tacos, in a pub Levi's had taken over, and like, yeah, take as much, many pairs of jeans as you yeah. want. And I was like, to this, this kid from London, from Law Magazine, like, this is the greatest place on earth, isn't it? And he just went, mm. Yeah. What well, like, you know? I'm like, what? He goes, he, and he just said, well, what's, what's Copenhagen ever brought culturally to the world? And his, his kind of argument was, and it's that like pressure and diamond thing. Right. Because okay. everything's all right in Denmark, Copenhagen. There's no adversity to make interesting, exciting movements happen. Just takes different strokes, doesn't it? Like, beauty can be everywhere, can't yeah. it? Yeah. But then, you know, it's all like the Norse projects <laughs> or all those designers. But um, I, I took his point, like, you'd never get the Happy Mondays coming out of Scandinavia. Nah, man. Nah. But I'd never have thought that in a million years. I just thought this is mint. Good place to go on holiday, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Let's stay in Scandinavia for a little bit then. I know you've worked with Haglofs for a while now. Uh, yeah. How good of a place is Sweden for gear? And what is it about Sweden that you think makes them so good at making lovely jackets? Well, yeah, I worked with Haglofs, who were a Swedish brand over 100 years old, as are Dometic, the part of Electrolux, which, which started in, uh, in Sweden. Again, similar okay. sort of time. So, well, first off, they've got a thing called Yantalo, which means don't show off. Okay. Keep your head below the parapet. Don't be a gobshite. That's the that's the literal translation of it. I love them words that you get that don't have a literal translation. Germans full of it. Yeah, it? That's, yeah. A, that's a good one that we can adopt. Yeah, but essentially, it's like <clears throat> probably because they're all beautiful. Someone at some points went, "Let's have a bit of fucking humility here," because I've seen the rest of Europe and they're all ugly bastards. So <laughs> let's just play it. De- but yeah, they've just got this humility thing where they don't show off, which again is really admirable and you know it's quite a nice thing yeah but i suppose the main thing about swedes is they love the outdoors it's not a hobby or a, a trend they, they, 
the oldest go outdoors. Yeah. And there's another law between which means you can walk and camp across anyone's land. Okay. You can't hang around, you can't spend three weeks there, but you can go wherever you want. There's no rule, you know, there's no trespassing laws. So you, you need the gear in which to do that comfortably. Exactly. And the Nordics, like, you know, you've got Lapland in, in parts of Sweden and some pretty big mountains. Minus so 20, minus 30. Yeah. Like, not just like Manchester cold, yeah. fucking death cold. Yeah, it's not just pissing pigeons. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, they test their gear in the extremes of the Nordics. So, you know, it's going to work. Cause if it doesn't, you're fucking dead. Yeah, yeah. Which is why their gear is so amazing. Yeah, man. And like, I work with them, but I wouldn't work with them if they weren't amazing. I remember my sister getting a Hagloff's, um, Gore-Texy coat about 12 or 13 years ago, a kind of muted red colour. And I remember thinking, fucking hell, that looks so smart. Yeah. So smart. And I went and I got, I think my first proper Gore-Tex jacket for going outdoors in was a, Hagloff's electric blue one. Um, and this was before the kind of go up kickoff of the yeah, last yeah. three or four years. But I wore it everywhere, man. Like I, I wore it to death, like wore it through. Um, but yeah, it's that, that meeting of form and function where yeah, it exactly. works for what you need to do. Yeah. That they get so, so right up there. Yeah. And all those palette colors are taken from Swedish nature. Is that right? That's what they're inspired by. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> the new rock collection coming out soon. It's got a lot of sort of colour combos that I think will appeal to people, you know, away from the mountains as well. Sick. Just men, I've just seen a jacket, I'm like, I need to have that. And they're doing a big collab with someone, but I can't possibly okay. mention that. That's exciting, man. Yeah. So a lot of the brands that you work with, these outdoorsy brands, Hagloffs, obviously, um, CP have always had the kind of technical fabric genius yeah, behind yeah. them. Yeah, 100%. Um, outside of the ones that you work with, maybe, who do you think's pushing the envelope in terms of outdoor gear at the moment, the brands? I think, well, it's tricky because I'm in this little, this kind of little Hagloff bubble and, yeah. and I've got everything I need. Mm. So in terms of tech, I mean, I know Mountain Equipment Source, great brand. Art Terex, great. But yeah, I, if I look at any other outdoor brands, they tend to be sort of Japanese. So and it's purely on an aesthetic kind of tip. Yeah. Yeah. So like wild things, I'm a massive fan of wild things. They've, I've seen them do a few collaborative puffer jacket things, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else do they do? It's just sort of like really tasteful tech where kind of, I've got a really nice jacket with like, it's got a full zip and like a half zip on it. I'm not sure why, but I love it. Same with North Face Purple label. That's some one of their jackets today. It's just ticks so many boxes. It's, it's like, like classic outdoorsy Americana, that 60-40 tip. Yeah, but it's got like Gore-Tex Infinium in it as well. Yeah, I look at it um, and think it's amazing what I couldn't get away with that. I think I've, uh, I don't know if I've said this before, but I bought some Goopy made stuff from Tim um, down the road after I'd seen the Goopy made e-com photos of the cool Asian kids wearing it. And then I got the shorts and put them on. I was like, fuck me, I look ridiculous. <laughs> I look like a 1930s, like, military scout leader in these. So, like, um, it's a bad thing. Yeah, it wasn't a good thing, man. <laughs> but look, like, it's so exciting to look at. And yeah. you need these brands to push the boundaries. So well, that's what I like about Purple Label, because I saw that jacket I've got. I saw it last year. And a kid wearing a pair of really faded baggy jeans. Maybe a pair of, like... Desert track or something like that, but I thought that's how I used to dress yeah. when I was 18. Yeah. So I bought a jacket. Cause I thought he's dressed like a mank. Yeah. He's in Tokyo, but he's dressed like a mank. Sick man. It's full circle. Beautiful. Next hype. Tell us a little bit about what's next for you, Neil. Are you loving the variety of freelance life that you're enjoying at the moment? Have you got any exciting projects on the go that you can share? I'm doing, I'm doing plenty of writing for people and plenty of PR. Mm. So, uh, 
I'm busy enough, but I'm also finding a bit of time to get out in the hills and test some of the gear that I'm talking about. Um, I want to get back into DJing. Did, just before the, uh, the COVID, I DJed for, um, an event at the refuge and on the back of it said, Oh, do you want to do the odd Friday? Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was supposed to be doing, um, a fanzine for a paradise garage night in Vegas. Okay. And, um, so I got obsessed with music again and, and disco music and Balearic sort of music, but it's all obviously the COVID sort of not. And so I kind of need to get back into DJing, but what's that, the appeal with DJing for you? Do you love, cause I used to play out and about a little bit. Yeah. Just being able to kind of force your taste on other people. Exactly. Is the best feeling in the yeah, world, yeah. I think. Well, it's just sharing stuff in it and just, I'm not a beat matching like, listen mm. to this, let's all get off our head. I'm just like a, Let's just have a nice time and I'll put some tunes on kind of thing. So this resurgence that you've experienced recently, um, are you playing records that you've accumulated over the years or are you still going dropping a few hundred quid in the record Yeah, shots? it's a bit of both because yeah. I, I def- I, during lockdown I spent at least a grand on Discogs mm. just buying stuff and that's kind of carried on. I'm, pr- I'm, I'm careful now, I don't buy a lot of stuff, but yeah, I am still buying records okay. for this imaginary gig I'm going to play one day. And the radio show that you've got at the moment, so that's your kind of creative outlet for that kind of stuff at the moment. Exactly, yeah. I call it music therapy because that's music got me through lockdown, so I yeah, thought we'll, yeah. we'll sort of imbue that vibe, carry it on on a Sunday night. Yeah. Sunday night can be a bit stressful. You've got the fear for Monday, so it's like, have two hours of tunes, it'll just make you forget about everything. And are you catering to that specifically? Like with the tune selection, it's, it's feel good, it's positive. Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, we'll put, you know, we'll put something bleak in there as well. Yeah. But, I think it's cathartic, isn't it? If it's, yeah. if it's a dark song, it still makes you feel better. Nice, man. I'm not tuned in yet for my sins. Yeah. I'll I don't, I'm not sure anyone listens to it. it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they've kept us doing it for like nearly two years. More than, maybe more, yeah. So yeah, it's still going all right. And well, I'm writing a book as well. I know everyone's oh, writing man, a Yeah, tell book. us about that. I'm one of these people, if you ever work with me or you're on a shoot or whatever or a hike, I'll end up talking about jobs I've had because I've had a lot of jobs. And people will say, oh, you should write about, you should write a book about it. So I, I don't, I'm not bothered about it getting published or anyone else reading it, but I've just thought, yeah, I need to write that book. Yeah, it feels big, like in in you. Just record you need to get it. it down. Yeah, yeah. I'm only two jobs in. Oh, I've written man. an intro. Have you got a working title? It's going to be well. It's just it's called Curriculum Vito. Okay, I was going to call it Curriculum Vimto. It's just a bit <laughs> stupid. I've never worked with Vimto, so but I'll come up with a snappier title. I think. Ah, buzzing. Well, but then again, maybe I won't because I don't think it'll ever be published. Yeah. But I'm just going to do it to it. I'll read it. Yeah. I'm going to send a copy. Yeah, I love to, man. Um, you going anywhere nice this summer? I don't know. I think it'll be last minute. I really, you know, I, re- I really want to go to America, but. Why is, why has it been 40 years since your last visit there? Because I'm skin. It fucking costs 40. And I've got kids now, so if we go to America, it's minimum grand. 10 grand, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, man, nuts. And I've just paid a massive tax bill, so. Shit. And you've got a parking ticket to pay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've always, that's another thing. I've always lived beyond my means. Mm. I've never really Best saved way to money. Live, man. Yeah, yeah. Funniest way to live. I might um, drop dead tomorrow. You know, yeah, man. exactly. Last minute holidays are often the best ones. I yeah, think. yeah. I'll probably end up in Lanzarote again. I went well, there twice last year. It's a lot to be said for that, man. Like sun, sea, and sand is like yeah. the perfect combination. Great food, volcanoes. Yeah, yeah. Shit, it's not clubs. so like flip yeah. flops. Yeah. You flip flop when you're abroad. Nowhere keen. Yeah, I'm cool. a big keen, oh, unique fan. Or Birkenstocks. Yeah, yeah. Keen if I'm sort of going a bit, you know, off-roaded. Mm. Birkenstock if I'm just going for a nice meal. Or have you got Birkenstock classic sandal or are you Boston. a Boston man? Big Boston ad, yeah. What do you feel about them, like, uh, ridged, Boston-shaped 
ones that have come out because I uh, I've had bo- my pair of Boston's for maybe three years now and I still love them. They've held up incredibly well. Yeah, but the one with the the kind of moccasin-ish looking, it's like a sunken moccasin top. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm still making my mind up. I don't know really. I'm kind of excited about them. I think it's yeah. uh, it's dressy but relaxed. Yeah, summery. Like might look sick with a pair of shorts. Yeah, I can see that being my next Birkenstock. I like those Dior ones. You see the Dior ones they did. Are they all heavily monogrammed? About two grand. No, they weren't, but they were just yeah, just amazing. Big buckle was it? It's a bit technical. So there's yeah, I'll send you a picture, but yeah, yeah, with like um, the Alix clicky. Yeah, buckle. yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were sick, yeah. man. That'd be a flex in Lanzarote, wouldn't it? And I love that they turned down there to a collab with Supreme. Did they? Because <laughs> they had a chat with Supreme. like, right, we want to do a Boston with you. So yeah, so, yeah, great. What do you want to do? And like, right, what we're going to do is we're going to put a Supreme like little logo on the side of it. Birkenstock like yeah, and that ta-da, that's it. You know, like, <laughs> what's the point in that? Just totally like brilliantly German. Yeah, yeah, I love the Germans. Yeah, the class. Great they? footwear, don't we? Indeed. Uh, final question for you: On a scale of one to ten, how much do you care about clothes? Again, I'm a, I'm a human paradox. So, in one in one perspective, I'm obsessed about clothes. I really, really care about clothes, human architecture, mm. and it keeps things exciting, doesn't it? I'm always like, I'm never. I never tire of clothes. I'm like, oh, look at that, look at that. But on the other side, it's a one because... It's only clothes. It doesn't matter what you wear that much, does yeah, it? It's what's, what's inside that counts. So on average, five. I'd say, well, you know, I'd say... I know it's not that simple. If you it put is. a gun at me, I'd say ten. Yeah. But if you're asking what I think of someone in the street, what they wear, it's a one. That sounds like a really healthy relationship with it, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, lo- I fucking love clothes. Great, aren't they? Yeah. Let's well, leave it's it not there. as good as food. <laughs> Indeed. Cheers for doing it, dude. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for asking man. me, mate. Thank you. Nice it's great. Buzzed off it. that was all right. What a legend. I fucking love that, dude. And if you like that episode, we've got loads more that are just as good coming up. So make sure you click that subscribe button, comment, review, all that stuff. But the best thing you can do is send it to a mate you reckon will love it. Come on. We're just starting out here. Throw us a bone. That's about a wrap, but it would be remiss of me not to shout out a few people that have helped make this happen. Big up Oscar Kenny on the tunes. That kid is making some absolute bangers at the moment. Go and follow him on Insta. Proper child prodigy behaviour. Big up Sam Black from the popular front crew on the other batch of tunes. He's a podcast soundtrack composer extraordinaire. Cheers, man. Big thanks to Pearl, who's done all the sick graphics that have stopped me having to dig out my coloured pencils. If you want some boss graphic design work done for anything, hit her up on the Insta. It is Pearl Thompson Design. Big thanks to the mates at Aston for the mics and native places London and Manchester for the lovely recording spaces. And last but not least, big thanks to Sam Birch, who's done a banging job recording and engineering the whole thing. All the tags are in the blurbs, go and peep that. That's it for this week. Nice one for listening. Catch you on the next one.